Well, as we're here, what can we offer to the Lord? As we have just sung something for Him. Well, our hearts that are submissive to His Word in whatever He would say to us. And as I speak and as you hear, may we all offer unto God that obedient heart that is purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But as Peter, we're going to go back to our studies in 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning. As Peter has begun in this section in the middle of this chapter to outline for us how is a Christian to live in this sin-cursed world. That's the topic of this passage. 1 Peter chapter 2, how is a Christian to live? We heard last Lord's Day evening, if you weren't here, I'll just uh, briefly tell you, uh, from Genesis chapter 3, we, we read that terrible story of sin entering the world. And Pastor Carlson outlined for us, described to us, how terrible. This world we live in, it's a sin-cursed world. We see it all around us. We see, as even Pastor Khan prayed and mentioned, uh, missile attacks on passing ships, a nation rising against nation in a, what we can only describe as a land grab, uh, upheavals politically, people of the same nation killing each other. It's a terrible world we live in. We look at our own country and we see bitter divisions. We see people living, boasting of their sin, flagrantly flaunting it. How are we to live in such a world? Well, let's look in 1 Peter chapter 2, and beginning in verse 11, we'll read down to verse 17. The first couple of verses here are kind of a general thing. How should we live? Well, Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers... Remember that he's saying, although we're in the world, we're not of the world. We live, we're citizens of these United States, but in a way we're aliens because we're citizens of heaven. I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may on account of your good deeds... As they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Well, what kind of good deeds? It goes on to speak of the good deeds of citizens. That's what we're going to look at this morning. The good deeds of servants or employees. The good deeds of wives and husbands. He goes on to outline these things in these passages that follow. But we're going to now consider what kind of excellent behavior should we have as citizens of these United States. He tells us, verse 13 to 17, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and yet... Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all men, fear the, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. 
Well, let's pray and ask that God would help us to have excellent behavior as citizens of these United States. Let's pray and ask for that help. Our Father, we see even in our own society around us the terrible effects of sin. We see that evil men go from bad to worse. And sometimes we want to throw up our hands. And yet we know you're still on your throne. The King of glory will come in. We say even this morning, O King of glory, come in, into this very room, minister to our hearts in our need. Give us guidance and direction as to how we should live in the midst of this world, how we should conduct ourselves before those who are not believers, before those who are looking at us, gazing at us, examining us, waiting for us to make some sort of mistake that they might shout, aha, look at him. Oh Lord, use our testimony in this watching world that they would give you glory. And may it be that the day of visitation would be a visitation of mercy even today. And even when that final day of visitation and judgment comes, that you would still be glorified through us and our behavior in this sin-cursed world. Help us then, guide us, direct us, and work in us that we would be able to follow the Savior wherever he leads. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, when I consider this next passage, I'll be honest with you, I'm not really into political sermons, and I almost wanted to say, well, let's just skip this, but it's the next passage in 1 Peter chapter 2, and in a way, it's very timely. We have an election season coming up. How shall we live in this world, in this country, in a way that glorifies God. And Peter tells us, God tells us through the Apostle Peter, we're not left to wonder, we're not left to uh, go our own way and make our own ideas. He tells us, you want to glorify God here in this world? Here's what you do. And so we're going to look at this passage, especially verses 13 to 17. And uh, in this polarized society, it's very relevant that we keep these things in mind. There's a command in verse 13, submit to every human institution. There's an explanation, the purpose of government. For, he says, the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. There's a purpose of government. Why, is, why do we have this whole structure, the Constitution, the three uh, divisions of our government, the executive branch, the legislative branch, and the uh, judicial branch. Why do we have all of this? Well, there's the purpose. And then he gives us motives, reasons for submission. Why should we do this? Well, we'll get there. And so hang on to that. It's not just a brute command, do it. As reasoning creatures of the living God, he gives us good reasons to do it. And then there's a clarification, the manner of submission, act as free men, verse 16. And then there's, there are these concluding exhortations. How do we conduct ourselves in the society? Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. It's kind of a shotgun blast at the end of the passage, and we won't get to that today. But hopefully we'll catch these first three, the command, 
the explanation and the motives. That's my desire to cover this morning. So first of all, then, the command. Verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Let's consider, first of all, the object of this command before we think of the verb itself, the command. Every human institution, literally, and it's interesting when you, when you read the Greek behind this, the Greek word is every human creation. Every human creation. And it's something instituted, it's something created by men. Now, when he says every human creation, does that mean every human organization we ought to submit ourselves to? Right, you know, whether that's the United Nations or uh, whether that's the, um, uh, some, uh, you know, the, the, the church of Sun Myung Moon or whether that's the local union of rat killers. Uh, you know, every human institution. Well, of course, that's extreme. That's not what he's saying, because in the context, he tells us what institutions or creations organizations he's talking about and it's government because he says whether to and then he gives you some uh, specifics whether to the king as one in authority or to the governors as sent by him so he's talking about the institution of governing bodies all right i think that's pretty clear uh, what cr human creation not every last human creation you could imagine but specifically human governments now it leads to a question. Why does he call them human institutions or creations? Aren't governments also divinely instituted? Well, we turn to Romans chapter 13, which is another passage that deals with this whole subject. And it would be good to read it and reflect on it as we study 1 Peter chapter 2. So turn with me to Romans chapter 13. We're going to come back to this passage uh, several times, so I think I'll just read it at this point. Uh, verse 1, on, all the way down to verse 10. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 10. I'm not going to expound it. Pastor uh, Chansky will have opportunity to do that sometime 2020-something. Romans 13, let every person be in subjection to governing authorities. All right, well, there's a very similar uh, command, be subject to the government. For there is no authority except from God, and, and the King James puts it this way in a very familiar phrase, the powers that be are established by God. Therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing." For it is a minister of God, an avenger, who, uh, who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. Wherefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. Conscience, by the way, is informed by God's word and law. And so for conscience toward God, we ought to be in subjection, he's saying. Verse 6. 
For because of this you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfilling, the fulfillment of the law. Well, our governments of divine institution was the question I asked before I read this whole passage. And that's what it says. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist, the powers that be, are established of God. Now, the Bible does not define for us or prescribe for us what kind of constitution our country ought to have. Uh, that's something that the human bodies, countries, nations... Uh, come to on their own, come to decide. That's why it's, in a sense, it's called a human creation. God does not dictate you ought to have a king, because if he did, we'd be in trouble here, wouldn't we? Um, he doesn't dictate it ought to be a democracy, for that matter. You know, and uh, it seemed that back, especially earlier or in the middle of this last century, that wars were fought for democracy, so that we would see democracies all over the world. Well, did God command that? Um, is that something he prescribes? Does God demand that we have a parliament or a bicameral legislature with a House of Lords? I mean, I mean a Senate and uh, a Congress, representatives? Is, is this what's determined? Well, you see, countries have various forms of government around the world. And he's not saying that, well, this one is right and this one is wrong. He's just saying whatever government's there... The powers that be, the authorities, are established by God. Now, when we go back to 1 Peter then, uh, and he's talking about the powers that bead, that were, <laughs> at that time, and there was the king. Now, it's interesting, he doesn't call him Caesar. He calls him the king. And then there are the governors, and if you were in Palestine, there was, of course, Pilate, and uh, there, there were the different Roman governors who were over the different provinces. Yes, and they were the ones who were executing the decrees of Caesar, of the government in Rome, in the various provinces. Whether the central high authority, the king, or the governor as one sent by him, the legate of Caesar, as it were. Um, well, in either case, the, the big authority, the national authority, the national government, or the local government, whether it is the president and the Congress and the Supreme Court, or whether it's the governor, uh, Murphy, or whoever it may be, uh, the local government, the mayor, the town council, the police in your neighborhood, submit to the authority. And there, that leads us to then the command. There's the, uh, the object of the command. You submit to the governing bodies, whoever they may be, and then... The duty commanded is what? Going back to 1 Peter, the word is be subject. 
Now, the, the, the Greek term is a compound verb, uh, which would be literally translated, place yourselves under. Place yourselves under. Be subject to these governing authorities. The king, the president, or the local governors, local authorities, be subject. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be subject, to place yourselves under them? Well, the scriptures tell us in other places what our duty is to the government. And for one, <clears throat> it would be to respect the government. Now, the issue is not whether the person in power is respectable. I personally don't think Nero was a very respectable guy uh, for the Caesar. And whether he was the one in power when Peter wrote this or not, I'm not sure of the exact date of the writing of 1 Peter. But whoever it was, those Caesars were not all respectable guys. Some of them were pretty despicable, personally. But he's saying respect, honor, submit yourself, place yourself under these governing authorities. In fact, Paul said of the wicked high priest, remember when Paul was uh, dragged before the council and uh, he, let, let's look at it in Acts chapter 23 and get the context of this statement of the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 23. Now this is a man who was a ruler of the Jews, not a Caesar, not a Roman governor, but in all the same, he was a leader of the council. And Paul, looking intently at the council, verse 1 of chapter 23, said, Brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those standing beside him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Very, you know, I, I don't know when the last time was that you used this offensive statement, you whitewashed wall. Uh, but it's not very flattering. And do you sit to try me according to the law and in violation of the law order me to be struck? But the bystanders said, and obviously was some shock, do you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I was not aware, brethren, that he was high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. In other words, Paul saying, mea culpa, I was guilty. I should not have said what I said. Because it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now, whether it is President Biden, whether it is Governor Murphy, uh, whoever it may be, this is what the Bible says. Place yourself under. Don't revile. That doesn't mean you have to agree with everything they do or say or even think that they're respectable people. But don't revile a, a ruler of your people. It means to obey. It means when a law is passed, we are to obey it whether we agree or not. Now, it will do you no good when the police officer stops you for going the wrong way on a one-way street. And you say, well, no, I, think re I really think that we should be going both ways on this street. You know, your opinion doesn't matter. There's the sign, one way, and you went the wrong way. He says, no U-turn, and you made a U-turn. You may not like it, but there's the law. That's what it says. And so to disagree with it and say, well, I don't agree with that law, so I'm going to do it anyway. Well, you can do that, but you're going to face the consequences. 
Obey, submit, follow what the law says. A further means support. We read that in Romans chapter 13. Give to everyone what is due them. Tax to whom tax is due. Custom to whom custom is due. Fear and honor. Don't cheat on your taxes. Give tax to whom it is due. Now, there's the tax code, and the tax code, we hope, is going to be applied even-handedly. Now, that doesn't mean that it's the same rate for everybody, but it means whatever bracket you're in, that you have to pay what the tax is for that bracket, and so does everybody else in that bracket. Pay what is due. Now, it's not a perfect country. It's not a perfect society. We may not agree with every way that the taxes are spent, but that's what is commanded in Romans chapter 13. Tax to whom tax is due. So what does it mean, place yourself under? It means honor to whom honor, you honor the government. Doesn't mean you have to, again, think highly of them in every way, but it means you speak respectfully of them, obey them, and support the government. That's the duty commanded. Place yourself under the powers that are there, the governing authorities, the institution, this human government that we have. It's not perfect, but we're to place ourselves under it. Now, there are qualifications to this command. Of course, Peter doesn't go into all the these qualifications. He doesn't stop and say, but, you know, really, there are a lot of exceptions here. And let's go into all of those. He just says it. Place yourselves under. And a lot of people who are looking all over the place for exceptions, Peter's not going into them. Why is that? Because we shouldn't be going into them. Some people are so busy looking for exceptions that they ignore the forest, which is place yourselves under the powers that be. What are the qualifications? So listen to John Brown. One exception is when the government commands contrary to God's word. And John Brown, uh, my favorite commentator on 1 Peter, says this, It is the duty of a Christian to yield obedience to all the laws of the government under which he lives, comma, that are not inconsistent with the law of God. There's an exception. If it's inconsistent with the law of God, don't obey it. He goes on. When the human ordinance contradicts the divine ordinance, requiring us to do what God forbids, or forbidding us to do what God requires, the rule is plain. We ought to obey God rather than man. Where is that taken from? Is that Bible? Yes. Let's look at the example that John Brown is referring to, Acts chapter 5. Verses 27 to 29. In Acts chapter 5, Peter and John are arrested. Had they disobeyed the powers that be? <laughs> no. But we find that they were arrested because there was a lame man healed. <laughs> Is that the case? Yes. And, excuse me, they, they were, not this case, different, different occasion. But they're arrested for preaching. 
Verse 27 of Acts chapter 5. And when they had brought them, they brought them before the council. They stood them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders. This was before when they had healed that lame man. We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered and said, we must obey God rather than men. It goes on, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And so he's saying, you told us not to preach about Jesus, but Jesus told us to preach about Jesus. Going therefore... Make disciples of all the nations. How do you do that? By preaching the gospel. And so Peter and John are saying, we're just doing what God commanded us to do. You command us to stop. I'm sorry. We're not going to obey you. We're going to obey God. We must obey God rather than men. And so here's this exception. Clearly, not only commanded or proclaimed, but illustrated by their continuing to preach the Lord Jesus, before the people. And so if the government, here's the point, if the government commands us to do something contrary to God's word, we don't do it. If it forbids us to do something which God's word commands us to do, we still do it because God commanded it. So there's the exception. When the government commands contrary to God's word, then we still obey God rather than men. And there's one more qualification I would add to this. And John Brown also makes this point. Thankfully, we live in a country where the laws are subject to, in a sense, the people's will. And so that we have the right in our country with our vote to vote into office those who would make laws that would be good laws and change the laws that would be bad laws. We have elections. We participate in the selection of those powers that are. And so we can do our part as citizens and pray that God would grant us in this coming election rulers who will put into place laws which are righteous and according to the will of God. John Brown says again here, he may, the citizen that is, he ought to use every means which the constitution of his country puts in his power to have the law improved. We have that means. Thanks be to God. I hope you're in prayer with this coming election. Not just kind of a surrendering in a, well, that's, we can't do anything about it. You know, that's the way it is. Use your vote to make a statement. What is a righteous law? What is a righteous principle? Who would be a righteous ruler? And so John Brown says he ought to use every means. But, he goes on, while the law continues in force, however unwise and even iniquitous, if it does not require him to sin, 
All right, there's a, there's a condition. He must obey it. And even when it does require him to sin, while he must by no means obey it, he must submit to the punishment, however unjust, which the law denounces against him. Did you catch that? All right, this is, a, this is an unjust law. I'm, it is commanding me to do what God forbids. I'm not going to obey it. But he still says, you must submit then to the penalty of that disobedience. Do we see that in the scriptures? Yes. That's what the apostles say. We're not going to obey you. Well, what happened to James? He got killed. They submitted to the unjust penalty. So my point again here, here's the command. I hope that's clear. What are we commanded to do? Submit to the government, place yourselves under it. That means we respect it, we obey it, we pay our taxes, no matter even if we don't agree with everything it does. And we're not so caught up in looking for loopholes that we miss the command. What's the emphasis? Romans 13, 1 Peter chapter 2, the emphasis is Place yourselves under, not look for loopholes. All right. So instead of spending our time looking for loopholes, let's do our responsibility. Now, what are the purposes? Why should we do this? What's is government any good? I mean, we, we look around us in this world and we see a lot of rotten governments. And let me be honest with you, brethren, here in these United States, uh, you could go a lot of places in the world and find a worse government than we got here. All right. What are the purposes of government? He tells us back in First Peter chapter two. So turn with me back there and let's look how Peter describes at the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What is the purpose of government? And I see I'm probably not going to get to the motives as I look at the clock here. But anyway, we'll see how far we get. Romans, First uh, Peter chapter two, he says, beloved, I urge you as Oh, verse 13, submit yourselves to the, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for, and here's a purpose clause, for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. He gives you a two-pronged purpose for government. Punishing evildoers and rewarding those who do what's right. Punishing evildoers. So in other words, the king, the Caesar, the ministers, the governors, the president, the executive branch, the legislature in creating laws, hopefully righteous laws, the courts in uh, adjudicating the violations or the uh, application of those laws. The purpose of all of that is to punish evildoers. We saw that in Romans 13 also. If you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. Government is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath upon the one who does evil. In other words, crime in any country should have its just reward, which is punishment. Punish those who do evil. I read this past week of uh, a, a sentence executed in, in communist China. And apparently there was a couple. The man was divorcing his wife. He had two infant children, two years old, one year old. And he had a girlfriend that he wanted to marry. And she said, I can't marry you with those kids. He tossed them off the balcony of a 15th story apartment. The couple 
was executed by the Chinese government for this crime. And the people, apparently through WeChat or whatever means, gave feedback to the government. They all approved. The, by, by and large, the majority, vast majority approved of this execution. These people got what was coming to them for their heinous, wicked crime of the murder of these two infants. And so, even in a communist, godless country, they recognize there are crimes which deserve punishment. Government is there to punish evil doers. And the people said, Amen. They're in China. They were agreement, in agreement with that sentence. But you see, it's not just those heinous crimes that should be punished. It's all crime. The government is there to protect property, protect freedom, to protect liberty, to protect life, to protect marriage, to protect, if I may say it, sex within marriage, to protect truth. The government should protect these things by its laws. What happens when the government does not protect these things? When evildoers are not punished in any society? Well, the Bible tells us, Ecclesiastes 8.11, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. When the sentence, when this, is, this purpose of government is not fulfilled, the society goes from bad to worse. Hey, look, he got away with it. Oh, look, hey, this judge let him off. Oh, he got his wrist slapped. Ha! Huh. The hearts of the sons of men are given fully to do evil. Men grow bold in evil, and society decays. That's what we see in our society, sadly. And so we ought to be praying that the government will do its job in punishing evildoers. That there will be righteous laws which do proscribe, that is, speak against, ban evil. Not prescribe, but proscribe. Ban evil. But then there's also this statement, reward that which is good. For the praise of those who do right is the way it's put by Peter, to praise those who do right. Now, <laughs> to be honest, the, the, the reward is not pay. I mean, you don't get paid for doing good uh, in the government. The government doesn't reward you in that way. But praise. And sometimes there may even be a good citizen award that you may be granted in uh, the borough or township of Montville. The good citizen award goes to Mr. Member of Trinity Baptist Church. Well, that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? But sadly, you know, we're not really looking for pats on the back. We're not looking for plaques to hang on our living room walls saying that we're the best citizen of the city or the, the area. But this is what Brown says. The reward is giving them that protection and encouragement, which has, as it has been justly remarked, are the only rewards which good subjects can reasonably expect from their governors. What is it? 
Well, did they protect us, protect our liberty? They provide for us those services. They uh, uphold the laws. They grant us the life, liberty, property, reputation, peace and order that they're, to, that they're supposed to do. That would be a reward enough if the government did its job well. And that's what John Brown says. That's the reward which we can expect that the government provides the proper services to good citizens. Now, think about this. Do we generally get that in our country? You go to the post office, you have a package there waiting for you. Do you have to bribe the guy to give you your package? There are places in the world where you do. Cop stops you. He says, oh, you, you were, uh, what was the term they used in the Philippines? Um, ah, there was a term, if you change lanes. Oh, you were doing it. You, you know, I said, well, sir, I, I, this happened to me. I was just changing lanes. I'm a careful driver. Oh, how do you know Tagalog? I'm a pastor. Gives me back my driver's license. Pray for me. <laughs> You're obeying the laws and you get somebody looking for a bribe? Thanks. We generally don't have that here. I mean, it happens. But generally speaking... Do you have to pay the government official in order to get your driver's license? Do you have to pay a fixer to get your car registered? Brother who lived down in Mindanao told me he had the, the guy was looking for 2,000 pesos to get his driver's license in addition to the fee. The government just doing its job the right way is reward enough. The reward, the praise of those who do right. If we have traffic that moves smoothly, the country is defended without kickbacks going to the defense contractors, hopefully. And the postman who does his job and delivers your mail without looking for some sort of bonus. You know, what a, be thankful. But still pray that we might have the government doing what it ought well, I'm not going to get to the motives today. I, I will just say what they are so that you can meditate on this at home. What does the passage say? It says, for the Lord's sake. Oh, there's a good motive. Not for Governor Murphy's sake. Not for President Biden's sake. For the Lord's sake. That's a good motive. We'll come back to that. For the Lord's sake. And... The other motive that he gives is that by doing so, you will silence the ignorance of foolish men. In other words, that's again part of your testimony. We, we will come back to that, but I want you to meditate. There are good reasons to obey this command. For the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. Oh, okay. For the Lord, I'll do it. Silence the ignorance of foolish men. Yeah, this will shut them up if they see Christians acting the right way and being good citizens. Well, we'll come back to that again. But uh, let me say as we close this morning, dear brethren here at Trinity Baptist Church, avoid what I would call a people power mentality. What do I mean? Have you ever lived through a coup d'etat? How many here have lived through a coup d'etat? I have. 
Yeah, got I saw one hand out there. I've lived through a coup. I tell you, it's no fun. And to be honest with you, what came after the coup was really not much better than what was before the coup. Be thankful for a government which is stable. It may, it's not perfect. No, no, no. We're not saying it is. It's human institution. And therefore, it's going to be imperfect. Even though God says he ordains the powers, that doesn't mean he makes them perfect. It's the human part that makes it imperfect. Avoid a people power mentality that says, oh, we're going to make this better by rising up. Whatever government it is, Peter says, place yourselves under it. Submit for the Lord's sake. We're going to come to that. But what does it mean, submit? It means respect. Speak respectfully of our leaders. They may not be respectable, but they have the office. Obey the laws. Pay your taxes. And in so doing, silence foolish, ignorant people who talk against the gospel. And if you're commanded, finally, to obey human ordinance, that's what he said. Obey, submit for, for the Lord's sake to every institution of men, every human creation, that is, speaking of governments. If you're to submit to human governments, let me close with this thought. How much more you ought to submit to divine ordinance. What do I mean? Divine government. Because you see, the, the government has a sword. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 13. And that sword's not there for nothing. In other words, the government has the power to execute judgment and justice on criminals. Whether that means getting you locked up for a long time. And by the way, that's not, that's not really fun. I've been in prison ministries. I've been inside prisons. Prisons here in this country are a lot better than prisons in the Philippines. Uh, you don't want to go there. You don't want to go here either. Into a prison. Or execution. The government has a sword. But how much more should you fear God? Listen to Jesus. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. In other words, if you're to obey what we read here, submit for the Lord's sake to every human institution, how much more should you submit to the divine rule and consider that he has much more than a sword? He has eternal justice. What then? I have violated his law. And you have. Everyone in this room is guilty. And you can't just plead innocence. God sees through you. What then? How can I escape? Flee the wrath to come. Is what John the Baptist preached. How? Turn from your sin, it's not going to do you any good. But there's only one place to turn after you turn from sin, and that's to Jesus Christ. Because he took the penalty in himself on the cross. Yes, he, why did he die? Why a cross? Because Jesus, the perfect sinless son of God, son of man, became man for what purpose? 
to go to a cross, to there on the cross, take upon himself the sin of all his people, pay for it, such that he said at the end, before he died, as he died, it is finished. Finished what? Paying for all the sin of all his people, everyone who trusts in him. And if you're ever to escape that judgment which is due to you was the, when the sword of God falls, it's because Jesus stands in the way and takes the blow and pays for that sin on the cross of Calvary. How can that be for you? Turn from your sin, come to him and trust in him and cast your sin on him. And then, as if you were here in the earlier class, it means you're bought with a price. The Lord knows those who are his, and therefore, if you're his, you abstain from evil. You turn from sin and follow Jesus according to his word in everything. Not perfectly in this life, but as much as you can. Why? To earn favor? No, because he already earned that by his life and death, but because you're not your own. If you come to Christ, you're his. May that be true for everyone. Again, if you're going to submit to earthly authorities, how much more to the heavenly authority? May it be today that many turn from this world to Jesus, the Savior. Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you confessing that, yes, we have sinned. We have sinned against the government, whether by failing to pay all our tax or whether by making a U-turn when it was forbidden. Whatever way, we have disobeyed the government, but we have disobeyed your law in a much more grievous way. You have said, you shall not, and we did. You have said, you shall, and we did not. You've told us that we ought to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And how far short we've fallen of that. And yet there's mercy with you because of Jesus. Taking that penalty in his body up to the tree. Bearing our sins and paying for them there. We ask that you would take this good news home to each heart. But for your people, that you would make us good citizens, that you would be glorified, and that evil men would be silenced in all the evil they say against us. Hear us and get glory to your name through the preaching of your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.